0: Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 145, first quarter earnings in 2022. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, a show that empowers ordinary investors to achieve financial freedom through dividend growth investing. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started, Dividend Talk is the place to be for insights, analysis, and unsorted advice on how to make the most of your money through dividends with our own unique European flavour. I'm your co-host, Engineer My Freedom, and today I am joined by European DGI. Hey European DJI, how are you, buddy?
1: I'm really, really happy because you know last week we were discussing about Johnson Johnson and their dividend hike, and what did you say again? <laughs>
0: If I remember correctly, I said roughly around a 5.6% dividend increase. (laughs) (laughs) You must have been right
1: because that's like spot on, spot on. I mean, the big king, you know, continues to deliver 5.3% dividend hike to uh, $1.19 per share per quarter. 61 years of dividend hikes right now, but my friend, you believed that they would hike much less, right? Because you thought, like, ah, oh, they will spend the consumer business and da da da. Yeah, I thought, I thought, I did. I honestly thought they'd be a little bit more conservative and, and raised it to
0: like one fifteen, one sixteen. So it was always on the low side. But I look, I, I doubted the king, and the king put me in my place. And as and such, what do we do for the king? As as such, I have to honor my bets, and that is to drink vodka live here on air, just so the viewers. No, it is a brand owned by Diageo called Smirnoff. I'm showing EDJ the bottle there to prove that it, it actually is vodka. Of course, it has to be Diageo. So, for all you shareholders out there, I'm going to try drink this and,
1: and keep it down. Uh, and this is of course guys the only vodcast and uh i will be you know i will be loyal to you so i'm going to drink some żubrówka biała real polish vodka so cheers my friend on your loss cheers but uh, we're in it together
0: i have to say this oh. is a, this is a lot harder to drink than that lovely polish vodka that you uh, you brought
1: over with you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, so, I
1: think uh, I'm starting to feel warm now, so I think we can get started with this show. Yeah, it's podcast a podcast show. It's a it's a good place to start with dividend hikes, isn't it? I think you need to drink on it. I mean, what, what else in life is there better to celebrate than a nice dividend hike from the king of the kings? Yeah, Six, 61, 61 years now. We also had a
0: couple of others who have hiked the dividends this week. Costco. Mm -hmm. they've hiked it by a whopping 13.3 percent um i'm not surprised i've seen some people put up pictures of costco in the united states and it looks like there's queues absolutely everywhere so i'm actually going over to america next weekend um which i'm quite excited about so i might get to visit
1: all these places nice 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 and I think the another dividend hike came from one of the companies you're also following, right? But I don't know if you own a position already.
0: I have a small position in, in Sunoco. Uh Sunoco Products, they hiked it by 4.1%, which gives them an impressive 41 consecutive
1: years as well, which is quite impressive. Yeah. And in this case, the ticker symbol is S O N. Uh, from Nico, in the end, right? We don't talk so much uh, about the stocks, so it's probably good to mention ticker as well for our uh, listeners. Yeah, Um and
0: we also have Blackstone there, who decreased its dividend. But I'll talk a little bit more about that when I get to that. When I get but that's to very again.
1: interesting because you have been discussing Blackstone uh, several times here, I believe, as an uh, opportunity.
0: Yeah, but but I think you have to you have to be aware of Blackstone as well in terms of their distributed earnings and that's mm-hmm. that's what you need to look at so i don't think a decrease is altogether unexpected the overall trend it's like european company they they will drop it slowly but yeah. the overall trend will be up but if you're buying these as a pure play
1: dividend growth company it's it, it's not yeah, 100 get that so. I get you. well for i i only own uh, gng right so for yeah. me it's a nice hike again i was happy that i could buy some on the dip the other day in the low 150 so the three percent yield so, this gives me a little bit more yield again, 3.15 or something like that on that buy-in. Not yeah. bad for, for, for such a king, but uh, I will discuss soon a little bit more about their earnings. Yeah, but maybe maybe it's a good place to start now, uh, Johnson yeah. & Johnson. No? Okay, okay, let's do it then. So, you know, I just love dividend investing, right? So, to see the king hiking uh, 5.3%, I don't know, that that is for me, I mean... Puts a smile on my face. My wife is not even uh, able to do this this so often. So it's an addiction. I, I realized that. Um, what I really am uh, amazed by is that on a sales in one quarter of 24 billion, yeah, or almost 25 billion, they were still able to increase it by 5.6%. So we're really talking about big numbers here for, for pharma company uh, effectively. Yeah. Um, They they do have, uh, if you look at the bottom line numbers, and and, and people don't get confused with that, you might see that they have a 3 cents earnings per share uh, negative. But this has all to do with a 6.9 billion charge of the TALK litigation um, um, settlement. uh, But if you take that out of the equation... And you look at their adjusted earnings per share, then you're talking here about $2.68. And it's kind of flat compared to to last year. And of course, the company is also a hit a bit about inflation. But what is funny, so far, if you look at it, consumer health uh, business that they are spinning off was flat for many, many years. And now they are like 7.4% up compared to last year which is really nice but i think that's all to do with inflation yeah, yeah these guys can so. now just charge more to all of this stuff um, so so that's really nice but uh, honestly it stays the lowest uh, and the smallest business because although it contributes almost 4 billion to the 25 billion in sales it's it's its uh, profitability and the margins are just much lower than for instance the ones for pharma So, Pharma, on the other hand, did 13.4 billion and uh, Medtech. So, um, you know, also the competitor of uh, Medtronics did seven and a half billion. And if you look at it, then pharmaceuticals were still able to grow with um, 4%, but Medtech, 7%. And here's where I'm really, really um, curious because it makes me wonder what Medtronics will do. Yeah, because Medtronics has been struggling and I'm wondering is uh, Johnson Johnson here eating their lunch? Or can we finally also see some growth, um, uh, proper growth in medtronics And now with with a company like um, I said Johnson Johnson, I, I really look also at their pharma drugs and uh, pharma. The, their let's say their top sales, Stellara is their biggest drug with two point four billion. It was growing by six point eight percent year over year worldwide. And their second biggest drug, uh, Darzalex is now earning, uh, making sales of 2.2 billion, uh, which is really, really uh, tracing Stellara just by a little bit. But there was a growth of 22%. So I bet that uh, Dazalex will be soon their biggest selling drug. And, you know, if you look at these numbers, right, it's, it's like a, a, almost a 400 million more in sales. Dazalex is really pulling this company forward. Yeah, also Stellara is still nicely growing. We're still talking about uh, under 50 million more. But when it re- when you really think about it, so consumer health, for instance, it grew by 250 million in sales. But then Dazalex itself already uh, uh, 400 million in sales. Yeah, so that shows just the difference that one single drug. Uh, increases the sales more than the entire consumer business can uh, can do with all its brands, so that's also where your risk is in this company, as I always say. Um, but then also, if you look at uh, the margins as such, they are just much higher um, in in pharma. So all in all, I think decent uh, decent numbers for this company, Johnson Johnson. Um, nothing to worry about, in my opinion. Um, I think I would have loved to seen the adjusted earnings that they report growing a little bit uh, uh, better, but you know it, it is like it is. Now to 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 really, um, um, how I said, put an end to my Johnson and Johnson earnings review. What I found really funny is in one of their slides is that about their capital allocation strategy. So their capital allocation starts with organic growth for the business needs. That should result in free cash flow. Their free cash flow will be split in investment in mergers and acquisitions and in paying competitive dividends. And, you know, competitive dividends, it, it's so funny because we saw with at and we saw with Intel, the moment they start using the term competitive dividends, we saw a dividend cut uh, afterwards. Now, I see no reason this to be the case for John St. Johnson and Johnson but it was just funny to to read the language here they didn't say a, a progressive dividend or a growing dividend they said competitive dividend so really funny to read this and uh, i hope it's not like a you know kind of already a, a subtle message to us but i don't think so it's it's interesting language to
0: use certainly considering the two examples you gave ATT and intel you would imagine after increasing it by five point six percent right off the bat that it's pretty safe. But you'd wonder when the spin-off happens, are they looking at adjusting it and, and using something similar to what AT&T tried to do, not call it a dividend cut, but adjusting it down. Um I don't know. I don't know, it's nah, hard it's nah. hard to know. But there is no doubt. Look, good good results all around. It's it's one of the reasons actually why it's probably a shame they're getting rid of the consumer health part, okay because we've we've gone through pretty much 0% 0% interest bull markets when that was pretty much flat but it's in times like these when this segment really probably excels and it's now that they're selling it which is quite
1: ironic yeah but it's contributing hardly nothing so uh, three, for for me it's it's yeah. i did once the analysis it's like a 10 or 15% maximum contribution to the bottom line so this is not something where you know for me, it is just too small to be meaningful for this uh, company in this regard so look yeah
0: <laughs> you are happy you' three point nine billion it's it' it is the smallest of the three obviously but
1: it's it's yeah it's three point nine billion in 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 sales but it's mm. just nine uh, zero point nine billion in in income yeah, yeah well for instance um I said pharma makes $5.8 billion in income and, and the MedTech makes $2 billion in income. So sales looks nicer and you would think like, oh, 11% growth on this. But if you then go to net income, the margins are just much lower. They have a 22% margin or something like that. So it's just not meaningful in that case also due to its size. Then MedTech makes a much bigger impact because it's double the size of the consumer health business. Cool so you're happy you're happy all around and you're you're confident i'm happy all around and and you know for me johnson johnson is always it feels a little bit like uh, mm-hmm. but then if i look at it i bought it first at 100 dollars then at 115 dollars then at i don't know 135 now at 152 and it just keeps on chugging along and my yield and cost is nicely growing and my position is growing the share price is nicely growing it's like a perfect example of compounding so yeah and if it continues to do like this i'm generally happy with this yeah
0: nice nice okay i'll move on to maybe give some european flavor to our earnings i don't think there was too many europeans mm-hmm. that gave earnings but asml had their earnings this week and yep. it was probably better than expected i think I think they've overcome the supply chain issues that they've had, which was one of the key components. We do know they had a large back order of their systems, but they've been able to deliver them a little bit more, I would say, more on time or or earlier than they expected, which bumped up their sales. And their net sales was 6.7 billion, which is up from 5.3 billion last year. And their earnings was... 4.96, 4.96, which is also a, a pretty big increase. So o- overall, I think they're, they're quite happy. What I was really interested in, in reading is on the first slide they have investor key messages and, and you're still a shareholder in Intel, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, And the first two lines that they have is they'll talk about the global mega trends, but they are say, saying that they're expecting to see growth across the semiconductor market, which is going to increase... They are demand for for their units. So I know semiconductors going through a bit of a rough patch at the moment, but these guys are preparing for, for a substantial growth in that market. And I think that's probably a key message to take out or a key component to take out of their earnings, particularly if you own the likes of Intel or, or any other semiconductors. Yeah.
1: I, I'm not surprised because if you see the boom of AI at the moment, with ChatGPT and everything, this requires a lot of computing power. So yeah. So yeah, it's it's quite
0: interesting. Um, that that really stood out for me. But overall, it was quite as expected. We we know that their sales was going to increase. It's actually nearly, not quite, but nearly double from this time last year. Um, their net income has has gone up in tandem with that. Their bookings has halved. Um, but we know that backlog created that as well. So all, all in all, it, it's, it's quite good. On top of that, remember that they have all always uh, almost doubled their dividend as well. I think it was two seventy five in twenty twenty. It was five fifty in twenty twenty one, and now it's going to be just above that, maybe five sixty five seventy. I think. Um so it's a smaller increase, but based on twenty twenty one to twenty twenty, it's still a huge, huge dividend increase. And they're still buying back shares to to boot as well. So overall I think it's a strong strong return from ASML, but I think it was I think it was predicted they 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 teed us up for this over the last couple of quarters, and now we're starting to see the fruits of it. So it's good to actually see them deliver on what they are saying. Um and also they shipped a couple of their new systems as well the nxt 1980 Fi as well so they're starting to to ship some new equipment which is which is good to see
1: nice one yeah i mean the company just keeps on rocking right in generally i know i know it uh, cooled down a bit again in share price with all the china worries and i believe tmc, TMC is also ordering less i believe um, yeah here so you know this whole geo. Politics and the export controls is is, is of course just uh, like like called a semiconductor war. Um, but uh, you know, when you're a full monopolist, and, uh, and
0: uh. I mean, yeah, there's not a whole lot more they can do. They're actually predicting 25 percent sales growth in 2023, yeah. and and. The off to a pretty, pretty strong start with that.
1: So, and I actually read this week that IBM, um, I don't know, invented a two-nanometer uh, chip or something like that. Uh, I haven't, di- the, uh, I haven't gone down into it and did an analysis on it. But uh, it was quite funny to read because probably I don't know, I, I don't know the details, right? But just speculating here, here a bit, uh, probably IBM is just having like a, I said a patent, but. Isn't able to turn it into earning turn it into earnings or something like that. But it was just funny to read. Yeah, I ju- I just did
0: a, a quick Google a Google that what we you're talking and there's an article dating back as far as the sixth of May twenty twenty one. So maybe yeah. two years ago from IBM research yeah. that, that they are that they doing that. So yeah. who knows? Who knows?
1: Yeah. I, I I'm not confident that IBM are going to be able to do that. No, no, well then maybe speaking of which I actually looked into IBM again, and you might wonder why. I, I just love it as a stock to follow it because there's so much wrong with this stock that I also feel like it's maybe still interesting for our listeners. Tell me if it's not, but I believe it is. I mean, you know my opinion about the CEO. The lady is out. The guy came in. He's as boring as hell. They keep on with all this keep on talking all this gibberish but okay let's look just at the facts revenue 14.3 billion up 0.4 percent or 4.4 percent at constant currency in an inflationary environment so they are not able to pass on the inflation i would say uh, as such to the uh, to the customer but if you then look at the different business units what is interesting is the software revenue is up three percent uh, consulting revenue up three percent and infrastructure revenue down four percent. Of course, there are large currency impacts in all these America, American companies due to the dollar rate um, here. Um, so, otherwise, we're talking about it being up six or eight percent. So, also fair to them. Um, what's good to know is that their free cash flow is about one point three billion, up hundred million since um, last year but what really caught my attention is that red hat red hat is up 8% or 11% in the current uh, constant currency and it continues to really pull everything up because if you look at the other software revenues in this 5.9 billion um it's all flat effectively it it's it's just a flat business i would say um and that's really interesting but we saw double digit numbers in the past from red hat and that's not what i'm seeing now anymore since last time i watched and that's also but i'm not surprised because many of the corporates are are scaling down think about all the also all the employees that they are uh, releasing in the tech industry so uh, as such i'm not really surprised that the company of as ibm feels a little bit of headwinds in this uh, consulting which is like making up 5 billion out of the revenue and by the way software was about 6 billion so consulting is really big um, in general, uh, it did actually quite well because it's their best performing uh, unit at the moment. It grew 2.8% but then 8.2% in constant currency, which is really nice. And then infrastructure services uh, is, is uh, having a revenue of $3 billion and Yeah, not, not a lot to mention there, I would say. Now, what for me is interesting, of course, and this is where this company always shines, is their gap earnings are $1.02 and their non gap earnings are $1.36. Most of the 36 cents are being attributed to the, I said, um, the, how you call it, the um, spin off costs and everything, integration costs. And I wonder really when these, When these guys start to put it just in the gap earnings, because it is already for five to 10 years continuously the same, but it creates a 30% gap. Yeah. And I will, I will do, I will put the plug in the numbers in my graphs again, where you just see that over time, they they are lying to us effectively on 30 to 40% continuously every year in and out on the difference between gap and non gap. Yeah, and that is just really painting the grass greener than it is. And if you think about it, from that point of view, the first quarter of the year is always a little bit uh, difficult for them. From that point of view, they have one point three billion in free cash flow. They expect ten and a half billion over the entire year. So we are talking here about ten percent, let's say, of the, let's say, uh, twelve percent of their free cash flow in a single quarter. But the dividends were one point five billion. So just this quarter. They were underwater uh, when you think about the free cash flow. And a lot, little other thing that I don't like about IBM because you know I don't like them, uh, they were diluting shares again by 1% um, here, where you usually see the opposite uh, in companies because of some buybacks. Uh, but we know that they have a lot of stock plans for management and such. IBM is really a company that is not there to enrich the shareholders. The, the share price went nowhere over the last decade almost. The earnings went down over the last decade, and the only ones that went up were the salaries of the of management. Clearly, management and shareholders are not aligned here. And honestly, I don't understand anyone that is still holding IBM after this decade. I really don't understand it. I still see people on social media appraising IBM. I just don't understand it. It's not a shareholder-friendly company. They do all the buybacks and and everything in the past. They just leverage themselves up to the tits. I really, really don't understand it. No shareholder shareholder value created in the last decade. Amazing.
0: Yeah, I think it's the five percent dividend yield that might might be doing it for some investors.
1: Yeah, true, true, and you could consider that shareholder value to some extent, mm, That's yeah, nothing meaningful for the rest. You know, dividend is usually something that you get after the company's growing its earnings. Yeah, yeah. It, it it would depend on when you bought them. I mean, if you bought them five years ago, you're probably
0: losing money in share price. If you bought them during COVID, you've made it a little
1: bit of money, maybe 25%. Yeah, but then you're looking at it from a value investor. Yeah, of course,
0: of, of course. Yeah. Like, it's it's all it's all relative. It's all It all depends on your circumstance. But, uh, I mean... I've lost faith in this company a long time ago. I, you ask if it's interesting to, to listeners, it probably is. But for me, I've I've lost complete and utter interest in, in this company and faith. So I, I don't tend to follow them. I don't believe a word that they say. And and as you said, like yeah. gap to non-gap every single year, how can you have a consistent one-off charge every year? It just doesn't make sense. So
1: and Then it's just management. It's just yeah. simple operations, right? Yeah. yeah. But for me, I follow this company just because, you know, I, I learn equally as much from companies like this as I learn from the good ones, because these are the companies that remind me like what to look for, what you don't want to see in the companies that you own. Yeah, yeah, true. Well, good. I hope,
0: I hope you got that all off your chest. It was, it was good, good to listen. I, I kept it peacefully, right? Yeah, it I didn't
1: make I, any insult to the CEO I, today. I,
0: I, was, I was just going to say it was, it was very, very peaceful. I was expecting yeah. worse. That's what vodka does. Should good we do sir. another shot? <laughs> oh, great. Okay, let's do. Yeah,
1: let's <laughs> do one. I mean, in the end, it's the podcast. Yeah. and you know, that- dividends. And the guys that are listening to this podcast that are running now, I hope you don't get thirsty from this. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're we're just doing it for you. To the Diageo. Good. To the Diageo dividend hikes uh, whenever they come. <laughs> Your
0: face. <laughs> oh, it's so hard to drink. <laughs> Okay, tell me more about Blackstone now. Blackstone, (laughs) Blackstone. Yeah, so look, we've heard a lot about Blackstone lately. They've been in the news for negative reasons pretty much nearly every week in 2023. We know their real estate business has come under huge pressure, even so much that they are not allowing investors to withdraw all their money. So look, it's, it's no surprise that they've cut the dividend by 10%. It is based on their earnings which have all been down so if we look at the total revenues uh, from a start the total revenues is down nearly four billion over the same period last year a lot of that to do is with their investment income the markets look they're trying to adjust to these new markets like we all are with increases in inflation increases in interest rates so we can understand to a certain extent that their income from investments is going to be down, and you can see that's quite heavily affected based on that. From that then, you look at their net income, and their net income has been down quite a bit as well. So it went from nearly $2.5 billion this time last year to $210 million this year. So they took a quite a significant drop. What people look at mainly with Blackstone is obviously their fee-related earnings, so how much money they are making. From all the fees that they are from investors and performance-related and compensation and so on, and that was down nine percent, which is not so bad. But their dividend is not paid from that; their dividend is paid from their distributable earnings, which was down a whopping thirty-six percent. So when you look at that, actually, a ten percent dividend cut is not too bad in the midst of things. Um, their total, their total assets under management actually increased in this area the one thing i will say is that blackstone in in these moments you are going to have peaks and troughs and we're going through a little bit of a trough at the moment particularly what's going on in the markets but what kind of kept investors happy even even myself happy is they have this figure they call dry powder so it's their war chest and they have a lot of my bonuses in there i would say so their war chest is sitting comfortably at about 200 billion dollars that's a lot of money Hallelujah. a lot of money and i know that I know they are not just sitting on that so they are looking at opportunities so for example in the real estate in the real estate world they are looking at this investment trust in the uk called industrial real estate and they own offices and warehouses all throughout europe it's actually a pretty good uk privately owned real estate and um, so they are now looking to buy that out because the That's a private company held in an investment trust and it's trading at a massive, massive discount. They are now sweeping that up at a massive discount. And then when we do see a recovery, we'll start to see gains from that. So they are making a lot of deals like that behind closed doors. Some of them are, are not so secret. Some of them are a little bit more secret. But they do have a lot of cash. These are the times where they make the money. So they're looking for bargains. They're going to invest in it. And if you are an investor in Blackstone, I would pay attention to that and and particularly if you look if you're looking for dividend growth year on year year on year you're not going to get that in times like this particularly with the distributed earnings shrinking but i think five to ten years i think these will make a decent pay Um, and just to reiterate their dividend policy is that they always look to pay 85 percent of that distributed earnings so i think as an investor you need to pay attention to that what it's at, what the markets are doing, because remember, these are asset management companies that are heavily involved in private equities, real estate and and general stock market as well. So it's going to be affected by all those things. So overall, I wasn't too disappointed with it. I think this stock price held itself steady because of the dry powder that they own, the deals that they're making. There is still a lot of negativity in terms of price. I was buying these at around eighty, dollars uh, I still think that's more than fair value. I don't think I'd be buying them at the moment. They have recovered quite a bit in share price. They're trading at around ninety I think ninety dollars at the moment. I'll double check that. Yeah, which um, is like a two year two year low. Yeah, yeah. It it is, but they were trading at seventy when I yeah. was recommending them trading at seventy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still think we're going to see a pullback on these and I will not be buying them until we until they get back down around the seventy. Okay,
1: 100%. but then you're saying also like you get like a four and a half percent, four percent yield on this one. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it, it'll be three point six five percent. I think based on a okay. new dividend, just a not too
0: nice, bad.
1: nice, good. Yeah, yeah. For me, zero price is for more from the dividend growth point of view than a bit more attractive. One hundred percent. They can see what you like in uh, uh, Blackstone here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's definitely not a dividend growth company a traditional dividend grow company yeah. TRO Row price is definitely the way to go yeah. if you're if you're looking at that but there's a mix here there's going to be some capital appreciation and and that i, I could be wrong but i'm banking that they're going to make their money over the next two or three yeah. years and in
1: five to six years I'll start to see the benefit of that that's well you're just justifying why we are called dividend talk and not dividend growth talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well,
0: there's all all different streams of it, isn't there? There's dividend growth, there's high income, there's...
1: Exactly, exactly. We should have one time a guest on our show that really is focused on high dividend yields. Yeah, like the 8%, 10% yielders. So I would love to hear this view one time.
0: Yeah, it would be... This, this should be dividend bull
1: on on YouTube. He would be one actually to. Okay, have let's that. try to see if we can get them. Yeah. Hey, and then you looked at our favorite um, uh, strap on snap on ticker symbol SNA company. Strap on, yeah, snap on. They
0: they popped up quite significantly in share price, didn't they? They had a, a strong quarter, which I'm really surprised that we we think of inflation, we think of. Yeah. I, I genuinely thought like these are premium tools that they sell. -hmm. I I work, uh, I used to work as an electrician, and I'm thinking if tools go up by 11, 12, 13, even 20%, and you have the same one from a cheaper brand, I would probably go to a cheaper brand. But these guys seem to have such brand power. Um, Their net sales actually increased by 7.8%, and that's after a negative. Currency impact mm-hmm. of 2.4%. So they're actually organic sales was up 10%. Um, and you can see that the whole way through. Their operating profit, their adjusted earnings was up 15% as well. So it's quite a strong year. But if you look at all their segments, it performed pretty, pretty well. The commercial and industrial group, 11.1% increase. Snap on tools group, 6.3%. The repair systems is up 139 and our financial services was up 22.5%. Um, I have to say I was quite surprised by this. They've got plenty of room to grow their dividend as well, their free cash flow. I think dividend to free cash flow is sitting about 40%, 50% in and around that range. Um, so it was, a, it was a strong quarter. It was unexpected, I have to say. Um, I, I didn't follow Stanley Black & Decker, but I, I wonder if they're going to have a similar quarter to these guys.
1: Yeah, yeah i mean snap on is super high quality you know pristine balance sheet uh very low dividend payout uh of course the yield should be a bit better for me um but it has everything i missed the boat on this one a little bit uh at a certain moment yeah we we, we missed the boat because when it was
0: said to us we made fun of it and i think yeah. when, when it was said to us, it was trading at maybe 12, 12 month low um yeah. And I honestly thought it might come back down in this period to, yeah. to a more respectable level. Well, it's still, still trading at an okay
1: level, but I, I still... I think from an earnings point of view, it's trading nicely. Yeah. yeah. But from a dividend yield point of view, because the payout ratio is so low, that's where we're struggling.
0: Yeah, 2.46.
1: 2. <laughs> See,
0: for me in this market, it's hard for me to invest in something with 2.46%. When you yeah. can get something for four or five percent with a similar quality, that's yeah.
1: that's yeah, exactly exactly. Yeah. Good, good, good. So, hey, these were five stocks that were uh, reporting the earnings this week. It's just a start, so I hope we will get much more of the upcoming one two weeks. Of course, I'm always looking at my top five positions like Royal Dutch Shell, Ahold, um, Unilever, ExxonMobil, AppV, Microsoft so it's actually more than 5 but um yeah i'm really looking forward for all these earnings coming in yeah it's and i'm to- actually really curious what open ai uh, and what the narrative will be about this in the microsoft earnings and what microsoft has been able to do with azure because they are locking this in via azure and i'm really wondering if we are seeing um i said the first first signs of that this is still you know even i said um putting more to the curve and to the exponential growth curve into the Azure sales. So, so I must ask you, are you still using Microsoft Bing? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, now our Google Meet is going via Microsoft Bing. Good. Good. I, I'm still using it as well.
0: I think I would say I use it 90% of the time. There is the odd occasion yeah. where I need to actually go over to, to Google to get what I want. But still, yeah.
1: it's still a decent job. I think so, yeah. I'm, I'm quite surprised about the quality. Hey, good. So uh, we're we have several people that reach out to us um, uh, for their portfolio reviews. And guys, uh, have patience with us. Uh, there are like three, four in the queue. Your turn will be, but today is the turn of Tim, one of our uh, active members on the Facebook group um, here, and he has shared his uh, portfolio with with us. A little bit background, maybe he started picking his dividend stocks since January. 2022 and i said actually he lives in denmark and he's trying to reach financial independence in 19 years from now uh generally because he's from denmark of course he prefers nordic stocks like from denmark and sweden what what i'm really proud of for him is that he's able to dollar cost average 30 percent of his income into index funds every month 30%. 30% so he's already already at that stage and you know that's already wealth generation so really kudos Tim, him that you're able to do this already um however he wants to turn his dollar cost averaging into etfs slowly into companies while he's learning about stock investing uh, he wants to comp- he wants to buy companies that he feels comfortable holding for at least 20 years he had also lump sum in cash and he divided that in 20 parts and he bought already 70 companies. And he also wants to own just 20 companies in total just because of the lack of time of uh, you know, studying more because he's, he wants to like uh, only look two times a year at their reports to see how they are doing. I mean, textbook material here, what I'm reading, really, really awesome this process already. Um, what I found really funny is that last year he covered one percent of his annual expenses because he just started, but this year his goal is to cover his lunches at work with dividends, and this is what I love because I do this as well. For instance, my shell investment pays for my oil and gas, yeah, uh, for the for the car mostly, and I often think like that. I often think like, okay, I'm paying every month uh, my internet bill and my phone bill maybe i should own some shares in in such a company so that you know uh, when they hike the f- uh, let's say the phone bills i see the dividend hikes coming in right so and and then you 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 have your investment portfolio like kind of mirroring your 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 cost um i said what you spend your money on yeah. yeah so um that's really nice way of looking at it uh, now he's asking us a little bit to, of course, review his portfolio, but also have a look at his sector distribution and how we would like to allocate this money. Now, first of all, what's good to know, and this straight away also my feedback to you, Tim: twenty-four percent of his dollar cost averaging in the ETFs went into the Van Eck Gold Miners UCITS ETF. This is really funny because we're a dividend talk; it's a gold miners ETF. And I wonder, Justin, why? Um, was this already something you were doing years before? And then if so, what are you going to do with this? Are you are you considering holding this? Because it's really a lot of money. And gold miners, it sounds really, really interesting to me that you're investing or that you have been investing into that. So there's no clarity on why you have so much. I assume that this is still a, like an inherent heritage from your pre-dividend investment dividend investing time but if you then go to the stocks his big largest position is texas instruments point two percent and he has a target allocation four percent we know how it goes when you're in accumulation phase you're just building up the positions right uh, kudos to that is my opinion uh, here i believe his second position is uh, stanley black and decker we just heard about snap on Stanley Black & Decker, I think it's a yield play for him because it pays him currently a 4.7% yield, uh, approximately. And then his third position is Castellum. And here I was just wondering, like, Tim, why are you holding it still? Because it de- decided to postpone his dividend, to not pay a dividend at all. And I can imagine that you're still holding it from a value play point of view here because there's still a lot of value in their assets that they have in their properties. But the question to me is like, what are your rules for selling a company? And I think it would be good to spend some time on that, um, to to just think about when do you want to sell company. Is it after a dividend cut? Is it after some fundamental change or something like that? Um, I, I because because you're also relatively new in the dividend investing uh, strategy because you started last year. Really like think about when you want to sell company. This is something personal. Um, Derek and I are not like that, that we sell companies straight away after a dividend cut, but it is a really strong time to reevaluate. You also identified it in red, so I assume that you know there's stuff going on there and that you're maybe wondering what to do with it. Personally, I sold it and I reinvested half of it back, I believe, almost half or maybe even more into CBUS because I wanted to retain the dividend income and I still was interested in a Swedish uh, real estate uh, firm. Now, having said that, uh, the next uh, largest company for him is Hexpol. We dis- we actually discussed that one when we went through the the Swedish um, uh, stock. So the ticker symbol is uh, Google ticker symbol is STO, and then H P O L hyphen B. Um, it is, I believe, four point what is it five uh, percent of his position, and I I don't have a lot to mention there. I I believe we found the company quite interesting in such. Polymer, I believe, uh, it's producing. Yeah, Yeah, So, uh, boring business, but seems to be solid, right? And then, I think the company after that, if I'm correct, was um, Abbott Laboratories, and I think with Abbott, it's an excellent company to own. One of the lower yielders also here, but I think you will really do well with that one. So generally, I think you have some stuff there in your portfolio where I would say from the top five, like hmm, specifically Castellum, what well, there. But then if you look at the rest of the comp- uh, stocks, I really like that he has the, the Noble 30 index companies in there like Asa Abloy, Novo Nordisk, Coloplask, but also uh, uh, also Spirex Sarco Engineering, right? These are epic compounders and on the european continent so all i can say is that he has really high quality in his in his portfolio here from the european continent um yeah yeah that's from so, my side
0: so what I, what I will do is i will defend him a, a little bit i think you missed one sentence in his piece where he says ps forgot to mention if you could review my target portfolio allocation yes which is that's where the next step which is where i hope to be in 12 months time okay and when you were talking about the etf 24% if you look in 12 months time he wants that down to 6% so i think he's ac- acutely aware that it is overweight in his portfolio similar to castellum he has that at 5.72 he wants that at 0% in 12 months time now the question i think you asked him is valid why are you waiting um and i think he has mentioned if they keep the dividend um but that would be the big question here why are you waiting to sell that if in 12 months time you hope to have that at zero percent which which would probably be my comment um in terms of the portfolio what i do like is he's outlined his strategy and sometimes. People have a strategy and they write a strategy, but the portfolio doesn't match the strategy. And, and sometimes I'm guilty of that. What I liked about his, I want to buy companies that I can hold for 20 years down the line. Okay. And if you look at the companies that he owns Unilever, Nike, Diageo, Asa Bly, Coloplast, Stanley Black Decker, Carlsberg, Tiro Price, every single one of those, you would have no problem in holding. 20 years. So I think his yeah. his I think his portfolio matches his strategy quite well. The only thing I would say in terms of the ETFs, there's a lot of ETFs there, but they all seem to be in the same sector. They're all yeah. global ETFs. Why do you need or is it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different ETFs in the same sector? Maybe, maybe you need to diversify that into different sectors. I don't know, but that would be my, my only comment on that. But in terms of the overall structure of the portfolio, I think it's quite good. I think the target allocations is also quite good. You're looking at mainly ETFs, which I think is, a, uh, we've said before, I think it's the perfect strategy for most people, particularly new people. And if you only want to look at companies once or twice a year, ETFs is probably even even better again. Yeah. Um, it doesn't suit an Irish investor to a certain degree, but I think the strategy is, is quite strong. Looking at those companies, it's very defensive. It's a lot of consumer staples. There's a lot of real estate in there, but he has a nice scattering then of industrials and materials. So I think it's quite nicely laid out. Yeah. Um, And I think the target percentage is is quite good. But the the question over Castellum, I think from what you said, is is quite valid. Why are you holding over them? You have a good strategy, but you need to define that a little bit more in and around what you're going to do with with dividend cuts.
1: Yeah, and I would say Tim, don't be shy, you know, share this in the Facebook group. Just do it. I mean, I think you'll get really lots of good feedback that can help you. Of course, also ignore the feedback sometimes. Yeah, we yes, do that as well because um, you can't borrow conviction. By the way, Pluck, yeah, I've got the hoodie. You have you know, I'm got wearing it right now. You can't borrow conviction and I love it. So I will wear it also on the street. Let's see if people actually respond to it, like asking me, like, what is this? But uh, I must say the material is actually quite good. So um, I'm not saying this just because of our webshop that we launched. But I must say I like it myself as well.
0: I have mine. on I'm actually disappointed. Mine is actually due to come on Monday. I, I've checked. Okay, We ordered at the same time. It goes to Poland before it gets to Ireland, obviously. So Yeah,
1: I good. ordered it in the weekend and I received it yesterday on the first yeah. day. And I have got also the t-shirt, Bankers are Wankers. <laughs> so... My my yeah. son want my son wants to buy that, and I have to buy it for him. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really someone said like I should go walk into my bank. You know, it's Poland, so I don't know if they know English, but uh, I should wear it one time when I just go check up on my account in the bank. <laughs> It'd be funny. It'd be funny. <laughs> um, yeah, but but look back to him. I think
0: as as Edie Joy said, don't be shy sure to to don't be shy to share this. I think it's I think it's good strategy i think it's a perfect strategy for most people and i would like 90% of the companies you own i don't know much about etfs so i can't i can't comment on them but um in terms of your stock portfolio it's quite decent okay listeners questions um tiago has a very good question it's one that i would like to know myself and that is have you ever considered talking to an index provider about formalizing your European aristocrat index? You should uh, do that. You should do I have that.
1: thought I have thought about it, yeah. But come on guys, it's my job is working at my company what I'm doing. That's my job, yeah. This is my passion and you know my approach to bankers and everything. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on that to make others rich with with an ETF or something like that that they will get all the benefits from. I'm pretty good with my trading two on two pie. It does a job for me. the The costs are really really low, so it works for me. Um, let 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 you know what let index providers do a little bit of work themselves. Yeah, to come to come to this. Yeah, why should I do the work for them and them? Then they just creating then an index and uh, uh, make make millions out of it. <laughs> share, share the wealth, share the wealth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, if, if there's an index provider that would say like, hey, from the zero point, uh, well, first of all, I wouldn't allow a zero point six percent. How is it? Um, uh, total fee or something like that. I would like to see that zero point three percent. And then I would like 0.1% of that uh, just for the intellectual property. You make yourself rich. I don't know if it makes myself rich because that requires assets in the management. (laughs) But I think like, come on, uh, I don't buy for nothing a t-shirt bankers are wankers. Yeah, yeah? I still need to find uh, the first banker that does proper research uh, yeah so i'm not just like parroting the ceo and then giving like sell and buy recommendations that make no sense at all i get you cool um Lars has asked us one of his
0: favorite probably all of our favorite investors is peter lynch he describes six different kind of companies slow growers stalwarts fast growers cyclicals turnaround and asset plays in your portfolio did you take a closer look at this kind of diversification besides so dividend growth.
1: This is so funny. When I wrote, read the book, actually I did this. I started putting this behind every stock. Nowadays I don't do it anymore. I just have dividend growth or turnaround. Yeah. But and I have been doing this. I've been once categorizing everything in slow growers, stalwarts and, and and fast growers, and it was really insightful because most of it uh, for me ended up in slow growers and stalwarts. And that's also the reason why I at the time started thinking about something like Apple as an example. Yeah, So um, it did me well. And I think it's a, it's a really good way of looking at your portfolio. And I can everyone recommend one time to do it because you might see that you're, for instance, biased towards a certain type of company. And then the question is like, okay, why am i always investing in slow growers what is it yeah because maybe you're just buying also a lot of broken companies with this or uh, and such and i think the mix is so important that's what my learning is Uh, when i look at my portfolio uh, if you would look more like a total return the mix is really what makes the difference and you don't know what's what if the slow growers will now be the trend because, for instance, the stock market uh, sorry, the there's a recession, maybe then the slow growers hold up really well in the down market. Um, but you need a mixture, I think, here. Yeah. So, I really love this question, Lars, really good one. And I think uh, I've done it, and I think everyone should at least use this lens once on their portfolio. Yeah, I,
0: I, I don't use those six different types, but I do use turnaround plays, I have different. Uh, dividend group pure dividend growth, then high yield, and then mm-hmm. ones that don't pay dividend as well. So I, I have done that exercise. I haven't done it that exactly like that, but I think you're right. It is good to understand. And you can see that actually with Tim. If you go up to Tim's portfolio, he does have yeah. it listed beside uh, core, cyclicals, bond-like. So mm-hmm. he's done a similar type of exercise to yeah. that as well. So it, I think it is quite important to understand what you own and, and the different sectors the different types of companies that you want and, and have a good mix but yeah, yeah I, I haven't
1: done that exact one but i think it might be a worthwhile exercise yeah and then casper kornak is asking whether we have any thoughts about the railroad earnings this quarter so my, my, my response first of all i just hope that the earnings are on time <laughs> like railroads
0: to, to be fair railroads are usually solid i i know i know two the canadian one and the u.s u.s pacific Mm -hmm. one and they're the two that i know but generally they're a monopoly they are needed they are something that's not going out of fashion and their earnings and revenue and dividend goes normally up the way um i'm not too familiar with european ones but honestly i don't have them in my portfolio i still struggle with paying a premium for them so i i don't tend to keep an eye on their earnings
1: yeah. Yeah, and I don't follow this industry, so I cannot say anything meaningful, Casper. Uh,
0: yeah. Um, Andreas has asked us: GMRE, have you made any moves? So that is Global Medical Reit. That question's for me because I had a video about three REITs that I would like to own, and that was number three on my list, much to the surprise of, of many people, I must admit. Um, but what I like about this company, look, it's, it's as it says, a global medical REIT. They buy buildings, hospitals, medical medical facilities, and rent them out to medical people. It's quite a simple, simple business model. They have a really high dividend yield, so it's not a dividend growth play. It's more of a high yield play. They've small bit of dividend growth, one to 2%. I think it's a good business model. They're getting really hammered at the minute and that space in particular REITs, but particularly medical REITs is is coming under a lot of pressure, but they are well covered. I think they are going to do pretty well over the next three to four years and their dividend is pretty, pretty safe and it's progressively growing all the time as well. So I'm... um, I did dabble. I bought a small few shares in them. I also have started a trading 212 pie, which I have realty income and a couple of other REITs in there as well. But I have also bought a position. I don't because I don't treat trading to it's weird. I don't treat ta- trading 212 as investing. I set up pies and put 50 here, 50 here every week. And it's automatic, but it's so funny because it just grows without me knowing. Yeah, it do not
1: bounce nicely,
0: and I, I don't count it, and, and <laughs> I probably should, but I have bought I have bought a hundred shares of them outside of that as well. Nice, nice, nice. Um, he's also asked a second question, which is why are there only one stock from Poland? Um, in. S-
1: okay for me it's really simple yeah so I like um uh, of course ambra yeah then you have live chat which is I think astonical if you if you see the um, the dividend growth and such and the earnings um but generally there are not so many good dividend growers there's some that have a high yield they are more like high yield plays but I'm looking for pure dividend growth so there are not too many there and I, Live chat for me. If you look at the payout ratios, it's not interesting enough for me. Although, if you look at the growth tra- growth record, I think it's such a high growth company that if you're into more growth investing, you should look at it. But from dividend investing, my my how is it? my um, my analysis shows warning signs because the dividend payout ratio is quite high. If I if I'm if I remember correctly, I might be wrong here. But it would mean that in that case, like if they have one time a setback in earnings that straight away their their dividends are, are at risk, and it's a relatively unproven company from that point of view, so that's why I'm not interested in it, but my of course, I live in Poland I would love to own more Polish companies, but for me Ambra is the real one that I feel really comfortable with owning, and this may be the reason just. Yeah, not, not not consistent dividend growth for most of the stocks. Good.
0: Um, so we have a question there about a portfolio review, and I think you've addressed that earlier. We do have a few in the backlog. We will 100% get to them all. We don't have them every week in the show, but we are getting through them. So don't worry. We will 100% get to your portfolio review. I promise you that. Um, Flo has asked us, what do you think about Alexandria, Real estate. Take a symbol ARE. It's quite a bargain in his opinion, and it come as it came back, and its future should look bright.
1: Well, fun fact is uh, Brett Thomas is uh, of course the uh, iconic uh, real estate investor, writer on Seeking Alpha, and he's also really, really bullish on this uh, stock. So take a symbol ARE. Look, um, his case is like it's a pharma, right? Different kind of business. I fully understand what it means because then you're talking about labs and everything, and you just—if you're a pharma company—you can't just move out from this. You need specific buildings for this as well. Um, for for me personally, it is a new stock that I'm not really familiar with. Um, based on the screening criteria, it has twelve years of. If I if I remember of dividend growth, a pretty decent yield. Um, I don't have it in front of me. I'm doing this back of mind. Was it like 3.9% or something like that? Dividend yield?
0: I think so. In in around I, I...
1: yeah, so it is also a relatively decent yield. Um, it's trading um you know, also at a at a low, I believe uh, 12-month low. So for me let's say like that from a read point of view it passes my uh, screening criteria so it's just stock that i should probably look into but honestly i think and there was a large discussion also on the facebook group at the moment about realty income i think uh, chuck uh, asked a question was it chuck or was it billy uh Richards? one of the two uh maybe billy um, they, they ask a question about this and you know and I think Marek from Poland uh, answered like guys two three years ago if uh, realty income was trading at five percent everyone would be all over the place and now we're asking questions and that was such a solid and good comment that it made me think like maybe I should double in a little bit more on uh, realty income rather because um, I, I don't need another real estate investment trust at the moment in my portfolio
0: yeah, so when 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 I've seen the question, I've heard this company pop up in the last maybe month or so. Particularly, I think Dividend Seek or someone on someone on Twitter is mentioning quite a bit, and I see him on YouTube all the time as well. When I see office reads at the moment, I find it quite hard, particularly in and around when people are working from home and how that's going to look. And it's it's a tough space to be in. Brad Thomas, as you said, has called this in his words probably the safest office read out there so maybe Carisberg did that quote from but that's no. that's what he said on it i'm i'm not too sure it, it's not a space that i'm i'm 100 comfortable in REITs is not my strongest point then i only have a couple of them I have vici i have i have um gmre global medical trust and realty income What I am actually doing as well is you know that I have CEFs, closed-end funds. Mm -hmm. And there's one fund out there um, called TR Property Investment Trust. And they invest in all different types of investment trusts throughout Europe. They're a European-based one. They also have some exposure to US ones as well. And that gives me enough exposure. And it's managed by somebody called Marcus uh, Marcus Mudge, I think his name is, he's the manager of it, and I listen to his podcast. He's fairly, fairly knowledgeable. Talks about Venovia, the German market, all these types of things. He's, he's really good, but I'm more than happy to get a 6% yield on that of someone that knows all these markets a little bit better than me and let him work his magic. So that's where I am. So I, I find it hard to invest in in office streets at the moment. I, I can invest in something like Vici because I think Vegas is is not going anywhere i can invest in global medical trust because i also think the same at hospitals and and all those clinics and realty income is is obviously realty income but anything outside of that is a struggle <laughs> cool um next question is from jay and he asks us if a company has cut the dividend historically but has started to grow the dividend after the cut would you still consider buying them?
1: Um, the academic answer is it depends. I think we always uh, mentioned here on the podcast that we did this with Shell at the time, Royal Dutch Shell. Um, so for me, it's more like I don't necessarily sell straight away after a cut. It's for me to reevaluate and what is the reason and can I see it as a reset? And then based on the opportunity cost, do I think it's still a good investment? Nine out of ten times, I would say the company is broken when they cut the dividend. Um, so I guess it's may, mostly maybe with cyclicals where this where this could happen. Um, honestly, I would really consider twice or three times even before investing in the company after cutting their dividends. It's so hard for me uh, to do this. I think it's the value investor in me that, that would like to do it. But for me, it's kind of like eh, it shows rather like a lack of commitment to the dividend. So I'm leaning towards saying no, but it still depends on, on really what the context is and the situation is. And I think this is also what investing is about. I think rules are good. Rules are really good and you should apply them in most of the times. But there's also something like about common sense and being a bit streetwise. And this makes investing also so interesting. Um, but maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe having strict rules will outperform. I don't know. I don't know how to benchmark that, backtest that, but that's my thinking about this topic.
0: Yeah, the big, the big, big question mark here is why? Why did yeah. they cut the dividend? And and look, there's many reasons for that. But for example, if, if a company historically cuts it when they go through a bad period and you know a bad period is coming up, maybe it's not a good time to buy them, buy them yeah. afterwards. Um someone like Blackstone, for example, where you expect them to to the dividend to chop and change but grow evidently over time. Yeah. There's always different scenarios, but I'm like you, yeah. I, I would not rule it out completely. It just depends on on the why and the confidence I have in in that company afterwards. Um, so yeah. Disney is one that we had, it's resting the dividend I'm not going to buy them. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's one. Tim has asked us, did your consumer behavior change in any way because of the stocks you own? So for oh, example, of
1: course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I'm in the shop and I see that uh, there are two products besides each other and one is from a stock I own, I will buy the stock that I own, uh, the the product from the stock that I own. Yeah, Definitely. Definitely.
0: I mean, I'm drinking Smirnoff, which is the agio based.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, there is something to it. Makes me also proud. Yeah, I I mean, they say you shouldn't fall in love with your stocks uh, and such, but sometimes you do. It's it's hard not to be biased, isn't it?
0: Um, I don't. I don't. Honestly, I don't think my consumer habits have changed. I am a tight. Person, so if I see something cheaper, I will probably buy the cheaper one
1: if it's the same yeah. quality. If it's the same quality, yeah. But for instance, if I have an opportunity to, uh, um, I said uh, go to the gas station of BP or Shell and they are like opposite each other and I need to go at the same time, I will always go to Shell, always. Yeah, I, I will still go to the one who's cheaper, <laughs> yeah, even if it's just a penny.
0: Yeah, of course. You hey, yeah. every every penny counts. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I have this. I have this. Uh yeah. Uh we
0: got a question about N group. Is it a dividend trap?
1: Well, we only will know that in uh, afterwards, right? Um, but I think not. Yeah. Um
0: Dennis has asked us, what would you recommend? Buying dividend stocks at market value to own the stock and take advantage of the dividends over time or setting a lower buying price with a chance it won't get that low and missing out on dividends. How long would you wait? So I'm quite impatient with that. Sometimes I try and and set it at a lower price. And eh, I think a phrase that you use is penny wise pound foolish. It, de- mm-hmm. it depends on, on how low you're going. Like, for example, I'll give you Blackstone, for example. They are trading at around $90 now. I won't buy them unless they drop to, in around 70 to 75, in around that range. If they get to 75, I'm not going to say I'm going to wait for them to drop to 74 or 73, 72, yeah. but, but there's a significant difference in price that it's worth it for me to wait at this present moment mm-hmm. in time. Someone like Johnson Johnson, who are probably in around fair value, I don't see the sense in waiting and buying them. I don't see myself putting in an order for $140 for them when they're trading in around fair value. I'd rather buy them at the market price.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise you're also a bit timing the market, right? Yeah, Uh, yeah. So
0: so it, it does come down to your... Fair value, I think, doesn't it? What what, yeah. you, what what your value of the company is. And and for me, I don't want to buy Blackstone at $90. I want to buy him at 70 yeah. Whereas I think Johnson Johnson or even Texas Instruments are trading in around fair value. So I'm happy to pay that. So.
1: Yeah, and what's good to know, for some fair value, is like me. It's like the intrinsic value of the company based on its uh, future cash flow yeah. discounted to today. But for others, a fair value is just the dividend yield. For other fair 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 values, the dividend discount model, which is a combination of dividend growth, discount rate, and, and the current dividend yield. So they're different ways and others the fair value is the price to earnings ratio. Yeah. So first of all, it's just to establish which methodology you use. And then for me, why I use fair value in general is because it actually protects me mostly also from um I said price anchoring. Because otherwise you think like, okay, you know, let's assume the stock of uh, Johnson Johnson fair value is 160. Yeah, then if I would buy it at 115, like I mentioned before, 100, I wouldn't buy it anymore at 152. But because of using fair value, I feel comfortable averaging up. And this is so difficult for me psychologically wise. And this is how I were, was able to escape this issue of not averaging up At the same time, um, I said fair value also ensures that I'm not overpaying for the shares. And why is this an issue? Because I need to stick to my plan. My plan is having an average yield of 3.25% at buying with a 6% year-over-year dividend growth. So if I start buying things that are just at the market, really overvalued at a low yield, I will not make my... Um, I said, retire early uh, plan into reality. Yeah. Um, last question comes from Brian. Uh, second
0: last question comes from Brian. He says, last week you mentioned that you only allow your tier one stocks to be 4%. I have more flexible. I'm 5% of my portfolio. But how do you think about your Portfolio with regards to industry. When growing your portfolio, are you concerned
1: about it being comprised of too many stocks from one industry? So actually, I have this also. Yeah, I have information technology and I believe consumer staples and health healthcare as my biggest sectors that I want to have in the future. And I'm saying a top of mind, Brian, but I believe that uh, they are around twenty percent of future allocation. I think materials and, and utilities should be for me on the lowest end. So I do have this as well. At the same time, you will see that if you go to my blog, europeandji.com, and you look at the um, portfolio allocation strategy article via the menu items, you will be able to find it. You will also see my target allocation for the um, for the industries or for the sectors, actually, not for the industry, but for the sectors.
0: Yeah, so put, do you... Do you take note of the industry would you would you have yeah. this
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i don't want to i don't want the sector to be higher i don't want to have a 40 percent exposure to a certain sector no i don't want to it's too much for me okay okay yeah in, in terms of me i
0: look at the sector but not too much at the individual industry within that typically i don't buy the same company in the same industry by default not 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 for any no, reason no, or any, no, any yeah. rules, but it, it just so happens that if I'm buying a company in the industry, I, I look at one and I, I, I tend to stick to that. So I yeah. don't have a hard and fast rule around it, but it's not something that I'm overly concerned about either. Yeah. And then the last question is from Inge Moore, who was asked us to take a look at a stock from the Faroe Islands. The stock is called frost which is listed on the norwegian stock exchange um and just a little bit about the company it is a production of salmon so from egg to fillet so they're pretty much into the salmon and fish industry
1: yeah and actually you know honestly the first thing that turns me off is just the dividend history they've been cutting their dividend in 2019 as an example and that is a pity, but it's so nice that we found a company from the Faroe Islands. I think the ticker symbol, maybe for our listeners, is B A K K A, trading on the um, what is it, Norwegian stock exchange. The current yield is 2.15%, or the forward e- forward yield uh, at least. There's a P/E ratio of about 18, so from that point of view, you could say, hmm. Matches the screener criteria maybe not dividend yield then for in my particular case it is trading around the 52 week high of around 687 crowns so it seems to be uh, doing just generally well i also believe that salmon in generally is a good industry to be invested in but that's my personally personal philosophy i think more and more people are looking after their health and they want to have fish in the diet for the healthy oils i just don't think that salmon is the most healthy fish there is but okay it doesn't matter it's not about what the facts are it's what what people believe and salmon is a fish you see in every shop yeah so the i i i can at least see in my circle which is of course not rep- representative for the entire uh europe but i can see that people are Moving more and more, I know more and more conscious about what meat does to their, I don't know cholesterol and these kinds of things. And I see them moving more and more to healthier diets. And I always believe that fish is considered part of a healthy diet. So from that point of view, I see a trend in fish consumption and therefore the salmon production as well as a growing trend still for decades uh, to come. Yeah, I mean it's a seven
0: billion dollar company in revenue and and you think about it it's crazy because in 2013 it was only 2.5 billion so as you as you can say that trend and healthy and fish and the perceived health of it is is quite strong it's it's growing quite quickly um i was similar to you when when i first looked at it i seen revenue growth i was like wow i can't believe it's, it's grown that quickly but in terms of free cash flow and net income as well it's a little bit more choppy um, and in that sense the dividend has followed suit as well and um, they have a decent balance sheet though they they've and they've got good interest coverage so it looks like maybe a good company from that perspective but as a dividend growth perspective it's not a good company but in terms of total return you're looking at over the last 10 years you're looking at 28.8 percent 28.84 total return um, and 11 percent return over the last five years so Total good dividend growth, not so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's 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 actually awesome to find a company like this from Faroe Island. So, it's quite a small country, um, and it's uh, no, it's cool.
1: Yeah, nice one, nice one. I didn't even know that they had uh, like something on a stock exchange, so that's also really nice. Yeah, awesome. Good. Hey, it brings us to the end of the show of the podcast number 145. Thank you for everyone that stuck stuck to us. I hope that we didn't inspire you too much with alcohol and vodka. I hope also you enjoyed this show and thank you once again for and asking all these questions. We love we love answering them. So yeah, yeah. Thanks to everyone, and remember, you
0: can't borrow conviction. See you all next week. Remember. Both of us at Dividend Talk are not certified financial specialists through formal education. We are just two guys sharing our journey for inspiration and entertainment purposes. Hence, this is not investment of us. Although we do our best, we can not promise that the information discussed is always correct, nor appropriate for you or anybody else. We always recommend that you do your own due diligence and be accountable for your own choices. As we always say, you can't borrow conviction from others. Last but not least, by listening to our podcast, you agree to hold us harmless from any ramifications, financial or otherwise that occur to you
1: as a result of acting on information provided in this podcast.